Welcome to Express Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We are a ministry of Arizona Message Ministry, the message to the number two dot US. We are supported financially by HaribouBooks.com. Make sure you go on there, buy some of the books that are there, donate them to your school, donate them to your church, donate them to your library so we can get the message of hope and the message of encouragement out. Enjoy the podcast. Well, I want to welcome everybody to, to the second, uh, I'm going to call it installment, the second installment with Dr. Powell talking about the most critical issue that's facing us, and that is the church's response to mental health issues in the community and in the church. And I was thinking about this, and we look at so many people who, and I'm reading things, even pastors, and pastors are looking at, you know, sparsing out the, uh, sparsing out the, what they believe is the sound biblical principles. And anybody that disagrees with their sound biblical principles are wrong. And the same thing that happens when you have somebody who's different from you coming into the church and the same difference. So you could be different based on there's some different people that say women shouldn't have a role in the church. Others say women should have a role. The Bible says they should. The Bible says they shouldn't. There's people that say that you, you can you can't have this kind of music. You can't be dancing. Other people say if you're not in the spirit and you're not speaking in, in tongues, you're not part of a church. And so I think that that same thing that we have from the general is focusing down on the most important thing, and that is for us to actually be out there being the the body of Christ and touching people with Christ's love. And so until we get to the point where we can let us put aside a lot of the differences that we have so that the church can be the leader in unity uh, we're we're going to have troubles even higher than dealing with people who have mental illness, and even the even the fights inside churches. Churches splitting, um, you know, people people saying that the 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 my son who grew up in the ministry he should take it over. Other people saying no, I don't want your son. I wanted to be the one that that took over the church. I was the youth pastor. He was the worship leader. A worship leader is not really a a, a a minister. They're just doing worship. And so when we have the fights inside the church going on, we have people who are judgmental going on. And in the meantime, they don't want people that don't be that aren't like them to be in the church. And then all of a sudden we have uh, basically I always say I call it people trying to make Jesus out to be a liar because Jesus was had unity, wanted to come for unity for all those who hungered for him. And so I think that as we as we start today, you know, we've been talking about uh, the church's role and responsibility in dealing with mental illness, but I think that um, the church has to get well first. What, what's your thought? The church has to get well. Amen. Amen. Amen, Dr. Zachary. I'm, I'm definitely on board with that. Uh, as the scripture states, before we can take the 
toothpick out of our neighbor's eye, we need to take the plank out of our own and uh, know that except for the grace of God, you know, so go you and I, you know. Um, I, that's why I have so much, not just sympathy, but empathy towards those who have um, mental challenges or mental illness ailments or even who try to strive for mental health. I know that, you know, um, anything can exacerbate a person's situation. You know, uh, you, know you see me now. Um, those who can't see me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dressed down to the nine today. Unlike last podcast, <laughs> I got this, my suit, my tie on. But there were times where I was not properly clothed and in my right mind. And uh, you have to realize that um, there's a thin line between sanity and insanity. So, uh, you know, it's incumbent upon us as the church to, uh, you know, be like Christ and, and be the bride of Christ and have mercy and, 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 and be intentional about bridging the gap that the enemy has tried to place in the lives or in the minds of uh, our people. Um, um, I, I got a treat for you today, Dr. Zach. Um, I think on last time we spoke, I mentioned how bright and, and how high the IQ was of those who suffer from mental illness. And I got some, some, some notable and notable people with notoriety who can support that claim, um, i.e., I. for example, uh, Abraham Lincoln, who was um, responsible for um, the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, 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 in fact, you know, while he was uh, 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 an engine for um, freeing the slaves, he was in bondage himself from a mental perspective. In fact, uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, had suicidal thoughts, which some seem to think induced his assassination. And, 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 and he kind of, you know, incurred that um, by John Booth, who was used by the enemy to take him out. But for the most part, Abraham toyed with the idea of ending his own life. And uh, uh, that's interesting, you know, even for our pastors um, who are, uh, charged and with the call of 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 trying to save souls, um, but in all actuality, ministers uh, uh, need uh, some sort of outlet or someone who can be empathetic towards their plight. That's why you know it shouldn't be taboo or stigma as it relates to people reaching out and receiving therapy or talking to someone like we're talking or, you know, getting um, extra help because uh, for a while people thought that you needed to have money in order to have a therapist or, you know, it was only for our uh, Caucasian counterparts who um, receive uh, therapeutic help. But the truth of the matter is, there's nothing wrong with having a therapist. In fact, I have mentors that let their congregations know, including myself, um, there are certain days throughout the week where they're not to be bothered because they're getting therapy. And like you said, we do that as uh, Henry Nowen would call the wounded healer. 
um, um, while we're trying to heal folk, we're wounded ourselves. So we have to deal with our own issues so that we can continue to pr promote mental health for others. Because if not, then we will, should I say, uh, uh, we will be toxic in the community, whether you're a pastor or a parishioner. You know, you don't want to allow your toxic behavior to rub off on others. And, and uh, I was just, oftentimes. as you're thinking about that, as, I, as you're thinking about that, it made me think about somebody who is dealing with somebody who's physically sick. And, and during this pandemic, we now have learned a lot about the importance of being clean. And when, mm. you, when you are in the middle of that stress and... If you look at the professions that have the highest suicide rate, you have doctors who are dealing with people in distress all the time. You have police, you have lawyers, you have uh, various different professions, dent dentists, people that are dealing with people that are in substantial amount of pain. And then you have clergy where they say that, that almost every clergy member has given serious consideration to leaving the ministry. And I think, and I think that you're really touching on something that I think that professionals uh, ignore, and because of the fact that we, we, you know, I say we, I'm adding myself as a lawyer. You know, I I want to be in control. I have to be in control. I can't win a case unless I'm in control. Uh, doctors love to be in control. You know, they they have to be in control of multiple people's health. Uh, ministers are have to be in control. They have to run uh, entire congregations and guide and lead them. Police definitely have to be in control because if they're out of control, and and I'm and we see what happens when police are uh, police officers out of control. But they have to be they have to control any situation that they walk in. And so when you have the people that are supposed to be in control, who live a life in control, who are in the middle of helping people that are in their greatest distress. You start piling all that on, and it's almost like filth getting on them without washing off. But it's not—it's not physical filth; it's mental filth, it's emotional filth, and sometimes it's spiritual filth. And if we don't have a, a mechanism to get that off of us, then it's ultimately going to take you down. And so I like how you were saying that—that that ministers were saying, "I need time." to have my own therapy because if I don't have my own therapy, then what's going to happen is they're going to, and like how you put it toxic because, and then they start dragging people down and they get anger. Cause I, I have all these fits times of anger where I'm supposed to, things are supposed to go my way. I'm supposed to win the case. I'm supposed to get something going my way. And then all of a sudden nothing works and I get mad or the or a judge rules a different way that I think the judge is completely wrong and, and harming the uh, harming the case and harming the, the outlook and harming the children or, um, you know, and so I, I, I have my my own issues and I can't believe that I'm isolated from anyone else. Um, then when you you add to it, you have internal fights inside inside law firms, inside corporations, inside churches, churches that we talked about, churches splitting. And then you have uh, the natural disagreement that can occur 
in your home, especially when you take all those other elements coming from you personally and bring them in the house. And your spouse, if she has the same type of group, brings that into the house. And next thing you know, you're having major problems inside. So I'm, I'm going to let you uh, just expound on all, all the mess that we got going on. And hopefully when we get done, we're going to try to at least have something we can give people nuggets on how they can deal with it. Yes, 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 yes. And, and it's interesting you say that. I was um, thinking about our last conversation and how we touched on the different types of uh, mental illness. Um, I think one of the most commonplace uh, uh, ailments are, uh, I think, is depression. But uh, like I said, we have some some people in society who were able to deal with it in a way that uh, it didn't necessarily affect uh, them or those that surrounded them. For instance, uh, you had, uh, we could talk about uh, Martin Luther King Jr., or Malcolm X, who in my theoretical portion and theological portion of my dissertation, I dealt with the fact that there's a great chance that Martin Luther King uh, suffered from, uh, um, uh, I would say, uh, some would think might have been schizophrenia or so forth, because whether you know it or not, those who are mentally ill have a high sex drive. And because of that, I don't know if you had opportunity to see the movie Selma, but they dealt with Dr. King's infidelities um, uh, within his marriage with uh, Coretta Scott King. Um, and that was essentially because, you know, um, it could be schizophrenia, it could have been bipolar disorder. Um, 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 um. And in fact, there were times where he got so depressed where he had to reach out to Mahalia Jackson who would have to sing him similar to what David did to Saul and had to, enter, and had to soothe his woes through the playing of a harp or, or through song. Um, uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, who was a great uh, abolitionist all by himself, um, was speaking and addressing um, the crowd one day and Sojourner Troop, or I think it might have been Harriet Tubman, who were all a part of the AME Zion Church, I called out to Fred because he could see how downtrodden he was and depressed he had become based on what they were dealing with during those times. Uh, and she said, Fred, is God dead? And, you know, you know, and, and, and we have to remember that, that, that God is yet alive, still alive. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow, regardless of what it brings, uh, uh, all the trials we might undergo from a mental perspective. You know, we can count it all joy knowing that there is a reason for the season we might be experiencing. I mean, seasons are changing now. Um, 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 if we find ourselves in the month of September, which is Suicide Awareness Month. But the truth of the matter is, whenever the seasons change, so does our mental perspective and our, our, our psyches. Uh, uh, whether you know it or not, our body is about... 98% water, made up of water. And because of the way the earth turns on its axis during certain seasons, um, it causes us to be affected from a mental perspective, whether that's, from a, uh, 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 whether that's negatively or positively. But there is, there, does, there is something that takes place when the seasons change within our minds because of our, 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 our genetic makeup that 
causes us to sometimes even act out of character. Let me let me let me jump in and and give you a little bit of what happened in my own life. And I want to say this because it you know somebody else who's listening can uh, may be able to to have enough courage to step out and and address their own. So uh, one of my past messages I talked about how there was a period of time when I was going through a lot of stress and on the verge of suicide. And then as I went to a doctor, a doctor, and I was in Minnesota at the time, and Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, requires a lot of rain in order to fill 10,000 lakes. It's actually 11,000 some, but, you know, they they, they stop counting, you know, they get to points like 10,000, who, after that, who cares? So it's a lot, it's cloudy, it's snowy, it's cold, you're inside a lot, and a doctor told me, you need to get out of Minnesota. You you have what's called SAD, which is Seasonal Affective Disorder. And so you're in inside for month after month after month, and it it just drags you down. And so, yeah, so so that was as you're saying. I'm a test. I have a testimony of exactly what you said that the season used to drag me down. The only problem is in Minnesota that season lasted way too long. Now I'm in the Valley of the Sun where the sun shines every day, and I can I can feel the difference. I still have the same bouts. You still have the bouts of depression and frustration, but it's it doesn't hit me the same way as it did when I was in Minnesota. Then again, also I'm at I'm older. And I'm going to jump into that part, the the, and I'm going to pre- actually preaching on that the, the sub that subject this uh, Sunday about how um, Paul was talking to Titus, and he was sa- talking about older men and older women and their role to younger men and younger women, and I think that an, uh, what's happening in our society is we have devalued. The, our, the wisdom of the older people. The word senator um, and the word senile come from the same Italian root word, the Latin word, root word. And so it was basically the seniors were given a certain uh, order to be the ones that govern what we should do. And I think that if, if we can get our elderly people, seniors, to have their status again, whereby their knowledge is respected and given down, then we, instead of being so quick to say, hey, you're 62 years old, it's time for you to retire and get out of the way for us young guys to come in, which people call, you know, I walk into court, they're like, hey, old timer, how you doing? And I'm like, hey, I plan on being around for another 20, I plan to be at your retirement. So I think that, you know, there's so many different factors and we're jumping off a little bit off the issue of mental illness, but I think if we can get the some leaders, I mean leaders in your family, to just embrace the fact that they struggled because we used to be a position where you know you're man man up, and I think that um, that has that's it. There's important to have mental toughness, but there's also is it very important to realize that there's so much coming at you and you have to have a way to deal with it, especially when you never dealt with it before. I was president of the NAACP at, at age, I think, 30 or 32. 
I was head of the legal committee at age 25 or 26. And I was faced with things that I was not prepared to deal with. And then I never, at that time, I never thought about going to elders and saying, hey, something's going on. I need to address what's going on so that I can um, actually be in a position to be more more help, uh, helpful to other people when I have you as an opportunity to help me along the way. So as we talk about uh, the seasons changing, the seasons don't only change uh, uh, yearly, but they change lifetime. You get to a different season. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, you know, our testimony, Dr. Zach, is the most powerful tool we have. And sometimes, you know, as the church, I, I talked about initially addressing the church's response to mental illness, but when I realized there wasn't much of a response due to the fact that there was the fear of the unknown, had a change to educating the church on new ways to think about mental health. Because a part of the pro- a lot of the problem is reason why we're we are not as nurturing to those who uh, have certain mental nuances. Uh, is because we don't know or we're not aware, we're not educated. Uh, We're we're ignorant to, you know, what is taking place, you know, to those who uh, have mental health challenges. And because of that, I think it's incumbent upon us to to be in the know so we won't have the fear of the know. I mean, that was essentially why they crucified Jesus because they just didn't understand or know where he was coming from because they couldn't understand it. They feared it. And, and when people are afraid, they tend to act out. And, and if they don't act out, you, or, or they, 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 they may not act at all. And that can be a problem as well. Um, because, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, people are dependent upon the church to uh, stand in the gap. Uh, 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 truth of the matter is, uh, during the civil rights movement, uh, the church was the cornerstone of that of that crusade. Um, you know, most of the, 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 the meetings would take place in the church with the NAACP. Um, Dr. King, he was a preacher himself. Uh, Malcolm X was a speaker in his own, uh, and, and a minister in his own right, who I thought had suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder based on his mantra as by any means necessary. You know, there, there's a, 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 a popular picture out where he is standing in his in his bedroom, looking out, parent, looking out the window, um, with the AK-47 in his hand, because you know, you know, he 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 somewhere along the line, he had a traumatic experience, and uh, and I can attest to that. Uh, you know, uh, whenever I had my mental moments and and breakdown, you know, they were coined as a manic episode. So you know, he's cycling. You know, he's going through, it's getting warmer again, or it's getting cold again. You know, when it gets cold, you tend to get a little depressed. But as it gets warmer outside, you start to feel like you have supernatural powers and you can conquer the world. You know, and the truth of the matter is, you know, you have to be intentional about keeping your feet on the ground and being able to di- differentiate between what's real and what's not. So if you had uh, a dozen pastors sitting around a table right now, what would you tell them about how the first step is that they need to do to, to uh, address mental illness in their church? What would be the first step statement that you would give them? 
there is a, a group um you know that's the great thing about church you can do so many different things with it. i have a neighbor who who pastors and he has a coffee shop out of his church but in any event uh you know there were things that you had for alcoholics and and uh, 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 narcotic, uh, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholic Anonymous, where they also have a group for mental illness entitled NAMI, which is a um, acronym for uh, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I think it will behoove us to, um, you know, engage um, this particular entity and bring them in and allow them to assist um, those who who need uh, some 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 assistance in in the mental health regard. Uh, in fact, uh, when I first got to Fisher, I made it my business um, to put a. I had a, a psychologist and a psychiatrist on staff um, who had office hours and would see people pro bono uh, uh, and and try to help you know uh, be intercessors. On their behalf. Now, of course, you had a level of confidentiality, but um, this should definitely be a part, uh, a major part of each minister's ministry. Um, um, that's why we're, we're we're going out on them by um, constructing a mental clinic um, in hopes that you know we can deal with this in a real way and not just sweep it under the rug. Act like it doesn't exist, because like I said before, and I say it again, if we don't deal with it, you know, it's going to deal with us. I mean, talk about that young man uh, who went into the Bible. So I think it was uh, Dylan Roof uh, who uh, shot up Emmanuel, Emmanuel Nine in South Carolina, the AME Church. Well, you know, you know that that young man, you know, you know, even though we cannot uh, exonerate him for what he did. Um, the fact of the matter is that, you know, he suffered from mental illness. Um, uh, most of the crimes that take place uh, sometimes involves those who are mentally ill. So, you know, we can't afford, you know, to turn our backs on, uh, on the mentally ill. We can't afford to treat it as though it doesn't exist because it exists and it exists in a real way. But the question is, how do you how do you uncover it? When people are covering it up, I'm, I'm gonna give. Since you brought about the, the uh, shooting at the AME, uh, bring another personal one home. There was a young man who shot the school where our granddaughter went goes to, and oh. all the accounts that people gave of this young man, you know, because what everybody wants to know after there's a, somebody that does something like that is what 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 triggered it, what mm-hmm. triggered it. And people are trying to look for for uh, reasons on why every something happened. And I I've, I haven't been to California for months, but when I was there, I was there the day it happened, the evening it happened, and listening to the accounts. And they said the young man lost his dad, and his mom did exactly everything she could do to make sure that the young man was dealing with. They put him, had him in the church, had him in the church group, had him in the you know, youth group, had men around him to 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 fill in and and did all these different things that she thought was necessary. He's playing sports, he was running, which is supposed to really reduce your stress level and your and everything. And then he still uh 
wound up killing two people, injuring or three people, and then taking his own life. And so when we look at these things, there has to be a way to uncover it. And I think that, that you have a great idea is if every church had a opportunity for people who were suffering, hurting, um, and then you list them too, you know, the, uh, like when you made the mention that basically everybody in the United States is dealing with mental illness in some fashion or not, we shouldn't be then, uh, we should lay them out. Because I didn't think, you know, somebody's like, yeah, anxiety. You know, all right, do you have anxiety? Do you have depression? And people don't want to talk about it because, again, they don't want to, one, they don't want to show weakness. Mm-hmm. And two, it's so personal. I mean, I, 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 it took me 30 years to talk about, and, and people who know me, you know, because I, I have a, I have a, a natural tendency to um, be a politician type. And so when people see, usually see me, if, if you would have asked people that know me, do you, would you think Stephen Zachary would have been suicidal? Most people say, no, there's no way. I just know this guy, and that's the last thing. But the, the point on it was is that you try to cover it up, and sometimes you compensate because you, you want to be balanced. And so if you're really down, you want to act up, not not act out, but act up so that you're pushing yourself to be looking joyful so that everybody around you uh, feels that you're feeling great. And then when you go back into your own isolation, you still have to face what you had to face that you were facing all the time, but it just is masked for, for a while. And I know a lot of uh, people that, that are in politics and in um, entertainers, uh, they, they have that attitude and knowledge where they go out and they're, they're the one and everybody's looking at them and they're all high, they get that high. And then they come down. And if they don't get the high again, then they got to get a high somewhere else. And if they can't get that high, then it just it just eats them away. And then that's where they are. So I, have to, I think that we're going to have to figure out a way to not only have groups, but have the, the courage of people to speak out and say it's okay to say that you're struggling and you're hurting. Because... Hurting is a way, and and I like I like the fact that the one person who could eliminate pain suffered anguish to the point of death, and we and it was spoken, it was it was written and it was spoken that Jesus suffered anguish to the point of death. He was stressed so much that the blood vessels were popping in his head. And, you know, we, we've never, I don't know anybody, I don't know a whole lot of people, but I don't know anybody who's told me that their anguish was that significant. But I believe that it was that because the weight that he had, so he, he took, he had your problem that you had. He had my depression. He had the, the guy, the young man who, shot South Carolina, he had his anguish. He had the anguish of the young man that shot in California. 
in Colorado. He had the anguish of people that were hang are hanging people because of of their race for for generations. He had people that engaged in ethnic cleansing and and clan cleansing around the world, and all this hate and and evil. And he knew that he had to to take all that. And if you think about all that pressure, anguish to the point of death. And if we tell people Jesus had it, so don't feel like you're like Jesus. <laughs> you know, we always want to. What would Jesus do? I think if Jesus had a way, if he was in that situation, he would probably talk to him. So, what, what's your thoughts? And that, and that's that's a good point you just made uh, about about the ability to talk uh, to someone. Um, you know, charity starts at home, Dr. Zach. And, uh, you know, some of these hate crimes, uh, one race against the other, you know, these children are being bred and born and bred and, and is ingrained in their minds to be prejudiced and to subscribe to segregation and, and revere racism. Uh, 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 you know, you know, Dylan Roof didn't wake up one day and just decide, I'm going to go shoot up this church while they're having a Bible study. No, somewhere along the way, whether he was at the dinner table with his parents or with the rest of his family, they instilled in him this hate. But I would, I would contend, just to try to address further your, your question, um, there's an acronym entitled HALT. Uh, and it says HALT, meaning never get too hungry, Never get too angry, never get too lonely, and never get too tired. Because, see, when you succumb to those things and, and, and those pitfalls, then you become vulnerable. And, 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 you, and your mind kind of jumps time on you. And as, uh, as when I was growing up, they had this song, uh, my mind is playing tricks on me. You know, your mind starts to play tricks on you. And, and 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 he figures one thing when it's not. And like you said, you know, people don't want to seem weak or crazy or, you know, out of line when it comes to mental health. But we have to make it OK to be able to confront our issues in a real way. Now, maybe we need to have a roundtable discussion and determine how to go about doing that. But, but I, I have my suggestions. Um, based on my experience with mental illness, whether it was directly or indirectly, you know, I could be in a conversation with someone or just look at them and tell that, you know, they, they're dealing with mental illness. I mean, granted, there's levels to it, but, you know, I've, I've studied it, I've researched it, and, you know, uh, we have people in place that can kind of point those things out. When I first got to Fisher, most of my congregation suffered from mental illness. I had people who had spent time in mental institutions, uh, taking medication on their meds, off their meds. I mean, people will, I remember when I was at my father's church, he could, uh, he could tell when one of his members were not when they're taking their medication properly. No, you know, I have a member, you know, uh, if they take if they take their medication properly, you know, everything is peachy keen. You know, everything is fine and dandy. But the moment they 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 get off their meds or 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 they have a traumatic experience and they're not being, 
you know, honest about their situation, then, you know, they, they go through a cycle where, you know, it, it affects more than just them, you know, because we all reach a certain age where what we do affects more than just us. And we have to, we have to be, have enough courage to confide in our clergymen. You know, um, uh, that's why the passion is there. Say you don't want people to know what you're going through, you know. Um, um, but remember, that's what's done in the dark shall come to the light. So, you know, if, if you commit a crime, then your name will be in the paper. Or, or if you end up committing suicide, your name will be in the obituary column. You know, so people are, are, are bound to be in your business. So it's best to be proactive and, and and no, I know as a pastor, I have to keep up a level of confidentiality. Um, you know, my people burn my ears all the time with this, that, and the third. But you know, I try to take people's mental situation in a serious way so that I can ultimately make referrals. And some sometimes it's people, church churchmen, and and people church goers. Uh, we, we, the reason we don't want to deal with is because we don't know how to. And that's when the power referral comes into play. We say, well, uh, let me refer you to this doctor. You know, I, ha I have a network of, of psycho psychologists and psychiatrists I can refer my members to, you know, especially if I feel like it's something too big for me to handle. So I'm, gonna, okay. I'm looking at this now. So the first thing that I'm hearing is you, we, need to have, we need to have an openness of the pastor's to tell, say that we have uh, a mental, a significant mental illness issue in our society, which is probably in our church, which is in various degrees, which is all right for you to talk about. So that's it's the first open thing. door policy. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then, the, and then there's you can either talk about it in a group setting, however large or however small, or the next thing is you can talk about it in the pastoral staff. And then, so that's the first step. And then I'm hearing you say the second step is that the pastoral staff needs to have an external uh, referral source to those people who are actually trained to address mental illness from a therapeutic standpoint. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and the truth of the matter is, Dr. Zach, there are ways to go about it. There, there are some, there's some ministers who, you know, they preach on Sunday, uh, they get their check and they go home. They never really, you know, smell like the sheep and, 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 and stand at the door. And, and like I do, I greet, I try every, at every service I have, I try to greet my parishioners at the door. You know, how you doing? You know, everything all right? You know, give them the opportunity to speak with me. And some say, hey, Pastor, can I talk to you privately in your office? And that's when it comes out, you know, you know, uh, uh, but they wouldn't have the opportunity if I wasn't willing to to deal with them. You know, Jesus, you know, he he he, you know, he, when he was ministering those three years, you know, he was in the mix. You know, he 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 went out. He he, he reached out to people and the people he didn't re couldn't reach out to them. You best believe they were reaching out to him. You know, um, but he he had an open door policy where, you know, uh, uh, his disciples would try to uh, deter others from getting to him. And he said, no, no, no. You know, let 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 them come. You know, you know, especially when it came to children. He said, you know, you know, let these little children come for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
And unless you become like a little child, you can't even see the kingdom, let alone enter into it. You know, and, and, and we have, you know, these quote unquote armor bearers who, who, who want to shield um, the pastor from people. And I know that has its place, you know, so that the pastor may maintain some resemblance of mental health. But at some point, we have to have an open door policy, you know, have office hours say, you know, like I started during this pandemic, you know, having office hours virtually where there are a couple hours uh, throughout the course of the day or the week, days out the week, where I would give people opportunity to meet with me and discuss some of their mental woes, you know? Right. And I was thinking that the interesting trend of the church is to see how big you can get, how many members you can get in your congregation, and then have small groups that deal with the day-to-day thing. So people come in, they hear the mass choirs or the or or the mass orchestras. And then they hear a preacher. Sometimes now they got preachers that show up on a holograph or show up on a video. And you get your one hour worth of Jesus. And then you go about your own business. And there's a lot of people who have gravitated to that church experience because they don't have to be transparent as they would if they were in a church of 12 people. You know, right. I think Jesus probably knew exactly what was going on with each one of the 12 people that were hanging out with him. But <laughs> and, and that's why he sent them out two by two, because here in the Amazon church, we have what we call the class leader system. Um, others might pertain to it and refer to it as a focus groups. Uh, but I'm tired. every day, you know. Uh, there was a, a, a the late right Reverend Roy Anthony Holmes would say, if you work the class leader system, it works. You know, if you work it. And uh, so, so give a little explanation to those that don't know what that means. What is that type of system? Yes. So eventually. So essentially, we like you talked about the small groups and, and, and whatnot. You have a class leader or a leader of leaders who have various class leaders who have a small group of people that they're intentional about reaching out to when the pastor can't, you know, uh, when the pastor is not easily accessible or you have a, 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 a number of people, whether it's small or large, you know, you should, you should treat it as such as, as if, if you got five people, you should treat like you got 500. Because God says, if you're faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. And it's incumbent upon class leaders in the book of discipline. Uh, they are charged with the task of, you know, keeping up with those who are in their class. Like they separate it. You have, might have 500 members and you might have 100 in each class and you got five class leaders and they have their contact information, whether it's mail, cell phone, address. And every now and then we might send a token of our appreciation or a token of love to, or extend the olive branch and say, hey, you know, we didn't see you in church today. Is everything OK? Or, or we saw you in church today. And, you know, same thing, things seem a little off because, you know, pastors need help. You know, in that regard as well. I mean, I mean, we're human at best, and there's sometimes where we need, you know, uh, uh, disciples to uh, continue um, the work 
that God has started in our lives. Um, there's a there are several mantras by I like to call New Church Believers. Um, uh, it was an organization uh, Bishop Powell had begun before ascending to the Episcopacy, and they stood on three stepping stones. They say, as a new church believer, uh, we must be transparent with our issues, and in turn, we can be transitional in our intent and ultimately transformational with our impact. All right, I'm gonna have you, I'm gonna stop there for a minute because you went a little fast on that. So I want to make sure that you you start that over again and say it. And, I, and and when I see your your dad the bishop, I'm, I want to tell him that's some good that's some good stuff that 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 more churches need to understand. So let's start that let's start that over again. What's the three steps? Yes, sir. For new church believers, the three stepping stones. First, we must be transparent with our issues. Then we can be transitional in our intent and ultimately transformational in our impact. And, and then, then when you get to the point of transformational, then mm. is that when you get to the point where you can find somebody who's transitional? No, transparent. Right. See, well, well, see, transparency is key. I mentioned the fact about the tool you have as it relates to your testimony. See, when you testify, you don't know. You, you might be able, your testimony can be setting somebody else free or deliver, delivering them. You're your ability to be transparent with your issues can help somebody else along the way. Um, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, uh, uh, my father had a time raising me, you know, or anybody else, a parent who was going through with their child who has mental illness. And, and you can say, well, you know, I've been there. I've done that. And this is how I did it. And then we can be transitional because we know in our intent after being transparent with our issues, we can be transitional in our intent because we know life is full of swift transition. And ultimately, once we are transitional in our intent, going from one point A to point B, we can be transformative in our impact and transform lives. But it, it begins with transparency, you know, and so forth. And, and in that order, you have to prioritize that can't put the cart before the horse and put the one before the other you know you know transparency is really key to uh to addressing this this, this these mental health issues but the 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 issue that i see in that is fear of judgment mm-hmm. and how do you get past the fear of judgment so somebody says uh, i'm suffering from um, and I remember being at a church where a person was struggling with principles that were not consistent with biblical principles. And there is a lot of things that are not consistent with biblical principles. And the young man got up and he wanted to, he wanted to have prayer, he wanted to have help, and he wanted to have support. And I remember the young man getting up and he was in tears and I said that that had a lot of courage for somebody to get up and tell the congregation what he was struggling with and so that other people can then step in. Now, if you have a church of a couple of thousand people, it's going to be hard to be able to have that level of transparency in a group. But I think that um, that I think you had 52 weeks. You know, maybe churches uh, invite somebody 
to come in and and give a testimony. I, you know, testimony Sunday used to be once a month, and and then you had a problem because somebody wanted to, to let everybody know the whole ha- whole sermon on their testimony. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you what happened to me. It's like no, just just say your testimony and and let somebody else receive the joy of knowing how you were delivered. Because again, like this one pastor said, everybody is going to waddle in pig slop. The only question you have to ask yourself is how long and how deep? Because you're going to get there. And the idea is that you, when you're out of it, when you get, when you walk down that dirty, dirty, dusty road and you see your father coming out, embracing you, and then you see your father putting that robe on you and you see the celebration that happens and the joy that you get from being delivered, then you need to be in a position where you're now should be able to, he should, the, the, the young son. So we, we're talking about the prodigal son for those that, that may. I was about to say, yeah, you must be talking about the prodigal son. <laughs> so, yeah, those, yeah. so that's, so those that might be listening that aren't significantly, uh, know the church you can listen you can go look at the story of the prodigal son and there's two sons and we what we don't know is we don't know what the prodigal son did after he was restored see but and so i think that and i like i like how the bible the bible stops a lot of times and then moves on to some another topic but uh, the story that we have with the prodigal son should be that we are all in that situation at some time. But then it's just like you said, transparent. What's the second one? Transparent with our issues, transitional in our intent. Yep. And ultimately transformative. And so, in our impact. and so he, he, the, the, the prodigal son did that exact same thing. I sinned against my father. I told everybody he was dead. I took my money. I squandered and squaddled it. Now I now I had to make a transition to from the life that I caught myself in to the life that I know I should be in. And he made that transition. And then from there, he should have been in the situation where he had the power to go back down into the pig slop and bring some other people out or if not back into the pig slop, cause you gotta be careful. You don't slip back into it, but at a minimum down the street saying, Hey, I'm holding a robe. Does anybody want it? Mm-hmm. And we don't, and we don't know. We have, we don't know if that's what his, his, the, the remainder of that story. But I always say that, that, and I've been, I was preaching on what's called the eighth church, the seven churches of revelation and how Jesus spoke to each one of those and how that should breathe life into us being the eighth church and how we go about our life. But I think that if we look at the prodigal and we listen to the, the steps that Bishop Powell said, that we, from our standpoint, have an a obligation as children of God, an obligation from being transformed ourselves and being redeemed ourselves for those that had their struggle to be in a position where we can go down to the end of the road with a robe of, of righteousness and a robe of uh, restoration and say, this robe is waiting for you. It's the same robe that I have. 
and we need to be in a situation where we go about trying to help others get out of that same pig slop situation and come on with us. So I think that 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 more churches need to embrace it, and I'm going to try to embrace that that three step uh, process that Bishop Powell said. Yeah, and 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 and, and essentially, uh, you have to give credence and 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 seriously consider the role that uh, animals such as a pig plays in Scripture. Uh, when you talk about the prodigal son, him being in the pig's pen. Uh, last week, we talked about the demoniac of Gerasene and how when uh, Jesus exercised the demons out of him, he sent them straight into the pigs. Well, if you know anything about a pig, a pig does not sweat. Therefore, whatever you put in it is not going to come out. And it was imperative for the prodigal son to spend time in the pig's pen in order for whatever he was dealing with to be left and not be brought back to his father's house. He didn't know it, of course. You know, and a lot of us don't understand what God is t- or what we're going through in terms of a process, but God understands and we'll understand it better by and by as old folks say, but obedience, obedience can't wait. Understanding can wait, uh, but obedience can. And we have to be obedient to God, you know, and his word and his will and his way. Um, there's another young man who suffered from seizures in scripture and his father, who was at a point of desperation, like some of our other parents are and caregivers when it comes to their situations. And he brought his son to Jesus and says, Jesus, you know, this, 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 this spirit keeps throwing my son down and, and, and he's having seizures. And sometimes he might even be thrown into the fire based on this spirit, trying to literally kill him because, you know, you know, we're at war here from a spiritual perspective. We're not dealing with flesh and blood, but most of the time when you're dealing with mental illness, you know, you're, you're dealing with, you know, uh, uh, the battleground of the mind. And that's where, you know, our conscience kicks in and you got the devil on one sh- demon on one shoulder and the angel on the other. And, and, and we have to make a decision on a day to day basis, whether we're going to lose our minds or not. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, Dr. Zach, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I would hate for us to act out of desperation, but instead, you know, as a church, and not just as a church, uh, as a per- as parishioners, but even as a people and as parents, you know, or, or, or as we raise our children, raise them in a way that they know that, you know, fear of, of, of being judged. Um, Cause the truth of the matter is only God can judge us, but they need to know that. They need to know that their fear is a mind killer. It's a little evil that disintegrates us from the inside out. We must learn to face it and control it. Right. To face our fears. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the, if you look at it, if you do wrong when you're growing up, there are consequences for doing wrong. There are consequences for being wrong. And so there's the fear of uh, something's going to happen to me if what is going on with me is being exposed. You know, if I go, if I go in, and go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, doc. Yeah. I was just going to interject and say, you know, to every action, there's a reaction and, and there's consequences for all that, whether they're 
good or bad consequences. They're consequential things that take place um, as a result of our actions. And, uh, you know, we have to keep that in mind whenever we want to bring something like this to the table because, you know, uh, anything you do, you know, is going, you know, due to um, the, the world we find ourselves in, the nature of the beast or um, the blesser, um, there, there is uh, consequences for pretty much anything, any and everything we do, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. Right. And the, and the consequence, because I'm thinking if you uh, tell your boss... I'm struggling with some things. There's a possibility that that's going to impact your job. You know, instead of having an openness saying, I know you're dealing with stuff. Well, no, I need productivity. You know, I, I don't have time for you to have troubles. You have troubles on your own time. When I'm paying you, I need you to have be focused 100%. And so we have that going on. So people are trying to hide that. And then when you go home, if you know, both, as I was saying, if both uh, family members, both both husband and wife walk in the house with their own mental illness struggles and those two come together and hit each other, it's almost like oil and water or, or gasoline and fire, you know, igniting. And then you add that top on top on it. You add the children. And I've seen I'm seeing it really playing out in my law firm with people who, and people were telling me, just wait, you're going to have the explosion in your firm with the pandemic because there's no escape. And sadly, I'm seeing it. You know, and I've I've preached on it a couple Sundays, pray for it because I'm seeing it. Um, But, and there was, there's no escape when you're stuck in a house with, the troubles that you have and the fear that you have and the natural mental illness, anxiety, depression, uh, and then maybe even some diagnosed things and you add to it health, you add to it fear, you add to it frustration, you add to it struggles of finance, you wonder if your electricity is getting turned off. All those get come together and there's an explosion inside your house if you don't take a look at it from the standpoint of Thanksgiving. And and what I've been trying to do is have, in fact, last Saturday, we had Thanksgiving dinner. And so I was buying the food for Thanksgiving and the the man at the cash register, he's like, that's really weird. You you look like you're buying, you're having Thanksgiving. I'm like, why is it weird? We should be having Thanksgiving dinner all the time because we have so much to be thankful. I want to make sure that everybody that comes into my house thinks about how all things give thanks (laughs) that's right that we have that we're thankful you know the fact that we can come in and eat where that should be thankful in and of itself because there's folks that Mm -hmm. had to go without a meal the fact that your kids are still healthy you might have lost your job your career you might be struggling financially but the, the bottom line is is that there's people who are there to embrace you again be it at the end of that road um being at the end of the road waiting for the prodigal to show up so that you can tell them that they have a robe. Um, interesting story is I, I, I have uh, two suites that for my law firm. I have 200 and 201. And 202 uh, parks right next to two of our parking spots. And during the whole pandemic, I hadn't seen them. And so I thought, you know, in 202, has been annoying me since I moved in because they won't move out. 
And every time I try to get, I want to expand and get another place, I'm like, I, I can't because 202 is in the way. So finally, 202 hadn't shown up for like five, six months. And I'm thinking to myself, shoot, they might be ready to give it up. So let me call them up. So I called up and I said, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you doing? And they said, well, we're doing, we're doing fine. We're working from home. I was like, I haven't seen you. The lady said, yeah, I was in for a couple of hours. She's like, so, but, and then I, then I had, you know, you do that switch then. And I'm like, man, was I just being greedy trying to steal their space? So I said, you know, I just want to make sure everybody's good. You, you haven't heard from me, but I want to let you know that if you need anything, you know, need somebody to pick up your, your mail or you need something, just let me know. She's like, well, that's good that you reached out to me. So now if she's, if they're, if they're listening, I got to tell them that my original motivation was to steal their space. You and I start talking about the word and start talking about this topic that's important to us. And next thing <laughs> yeah. we know, an yeah, hour an hour is up. But I, and the conclusion on yeah. this, I want, I'm hoping that families, I'm hoping that groups understand that the first step is, is to be open, to be transparent. The second thing is that, that those who, uh, who are responsible for leading Make sure that they reach out and have their own circle of group of professionals who can who they can refer people to. And then the third thing is that we got to not be judgmental and we got to be open and we got to be honest. And so I'm glad we had two weeks of this discussion and I'm going to try to keep pushing this out so people can uh, can see it. And hopefully we can have the church be the lead and bringing about change, especially dealing with mental illness as we're coming out of suicide prevention. And Doc, I, I took two hours of your time, but I appreciate you coming on the show, and we'll probably bring you back on another one. Thank you for having me. I look forward to it. God bless you and your ministry. Thank you for listening today. Thank you to all our guests. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Stephen Zachary Minister Gilbert, the Arizona Message Ministry on Facebook, and feel free to send me an email to the message2.us or to my private website, stephenzachary.com. Thank you to Haribo Books for supporting us. That's haribobooks.com. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks.